electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market Moving Insight and Analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Tuesday morning and welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm David Faber with Morgan Brennan and Mike Santoli. We are live from the New York Stock Exchange. Jim and Carl both have this morning off. Let's give you a look at futures as we get ready for an opening bell. 30 minutes from now, you can see, let's call it slightly lower. And let's get to our roadmap this morning. It does start with Ida's aftermath. No water, no electricity for thousands. And the state's largest utility says repairs could take weeks. We're going to talk with the president of Entergy. That's the big power provider down there in just a minute. Plus, shares of Zoom video sinking. Revenue topping a billion dollars for the first time ever. But a slowing growth outlook is spooking investors. And renewed COVID headwinds for restaurants. A new report finds the Delta surge is hitting the restaurant industry hard. Let's start with the markets, though, before we uh, uh, delve into as well the uh, aftermath of Ida. Uh, and, Mike, it is the uh, end of the month uh, for whatever purposes that yeah. serves. We'll get, a, obviously, a jobs report as well uh, this Friday. Um, thoughts as we sort of uh, finish up this August? We're riding a couple of streaks here that are relatively significant. This would be the, presumably, we're up 3% for August so far uh, in the S&P 500. be the seventh straight month. Uh, in fact, we've never been up February through August seven straight. I think 2017 was really close, but one month had a fractional decline. Um, now, we've also been up three, uh, three months in a row at least 2%. So you kind of pile up all these indicators of the persistence of the rally, the momentum, And every time you do a historical study and say, what has happened after one of those, uh, you've been in that position at at one of those streaks, or uh, when the market's up 15, 20 percent through eight months of the year, and it always says, on balance, it tends to lead higher ultimately. In other words, it's not the top when it ends. Yes, some choppiness. Yes, the following month, sometimes there's a more mixed result. But it just sort of tells you, in general, strength begets strength. And the market has been able to feed off of whatever was working that day. Yesterday, classic example. The humongous stocks of the Nasdaq did everything. Everything. And that was it. And now some days it's like that. And some days the Nasdaq 100's down, but yet the majority of stocks are up. And it's all about the banks and the small caps and the industrials and the energy. So I think that that's been... Uh, the way the market's gone, September, of course, historically, not tended to be good. Um, but right. that's more in, 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 in years when it also has been a little bit rougher along the way until you got to September. Yeah, but those mega caps yesterday were quite impressive in yesterday, terms of their moves. The whole, the whole month, actually. If you look at big, the big tech names, they've been some of the top performers for the month. So Netflix up 9% month to date. Alphabet up about 7.5%. Facebook also up about 7%. Apple up 5%. And this is even as Amazon, I guess, is the laggard. It's only up 3% for the month. But this is even and 2% as 2% of it was yesterday. Yes, yesterday. yes <laughs> yeah. exactly. So. Um, and, you know, but it, it, we're, it is that rotation back, or it has been, back into those, those big names, which have essentially become 
safe havens, uh, despite the fact that they continue to grow as well, right? Um, and despite the fact that we have these conversations about antitrust investigations, you got that news just today out of South Korea about Apple and Google as well. So you're starting to see those crackdowns happen, uh, which could have farther-reaching ramifications. Yeah. Yes, which could have farther-reaching ramifications um, for, in the case of Apple, for example, the services business, which is a high-margin business, one that they've been very focused on growing and for which the App Store and all the revenues that that generates uh, has been crucial. Yeah. I mean, Mike, I look at Microsoft, though. It's like, who doesn't own Microsoft yeah, at this point? Exactly. Mm-hmm. We're talking about a $2.28 billion market value. It's it's just so well-owned, and yet here we yeah. are. And by the way, the the we, we've mentioned this many times, the reception of the marketplace to what were incredible earnings. I mean, yeah. the likes of which I don't think we've ever seen in terms of top-line growth for companies this old, right. so to speak. Yeah. Mature, uh, yeah. And yet they sort of have been playing catch-up lately in a way in terms of at least rewarding those quarters. Yeah, finally. I mean, they are really viewed as um, as, def- as kind of all-weather as opposed to let's let me capture this exciting new story called Microsoft. Um, there has been a growth scare. I mean, if you look at how the market has operated, you know, Treasury yields have come down. Inflation expectations have moderated. The cyclical stocks all had corrections from June into this month. So there has been a growth scare. It just hasn't been uh, enough to drag down the entire index because of those those other stocks. And so, you know, you would have to say it's almost uh, kind of healthy or at least lucky that it's gone that way, uh, that the market is constructed in this way, because why? what would cause broad-based selling pressure? Well, you have to have credit markets seize up somehow. You have to have real high expectations or fear of a Fed mistake uh, at this stage. And yeah, there's going to be a slowdown in earnings growth next year. It's going to be spottier. It's going to be more uneven. Not all boats are going to rise. But that's a different story than we need to cut back across the board on equities. Because that, that seems like the, the instinct that yeah. has been absent. Meanwhile, this is a week we should keep in mind. There's not that much liquidity. Europe is very quiet. And so yeah. you're not looking for a lot of action during the course of this week, yeah. uh, given the time of year. Um, let's move forward now. Louisiana is reeling from the damage caused by Hurricane Ida. Frank Holland is on the ground. He is in New Orleans and he joins us live with the latest. Frank. Hey, good morning, David. Uh, the city of New Orleans will wake up again today without power uh, about, uh, and also without air conditioning as temperatures are forecast to be about 90 degrees with high humidity. About one million people here are without power in the state of Louisiana. And at the same time, they're dealing with widespread damage like this building you see here behind me, completely destroyed by the Category 4 storm, along with down power lines and down trees all across the city. Tensions are also building. Police responding to various incidents with the National Guard riding along to increase safety. The governor activating about 5,000 National Guard troops. People are also trying to buy as much ice, cold water, and non-perishable food as they can find. We've seen long lines at the stores and restaurants that are able to open. Locals say the immediate aftermath of Ida does not in any way compare to the horror following Hurricane Katrina, but they are worried about the days ahead. Oh. And none of our phones are working. I mean, it's just—it's just as it gets, as it prolongs. You got to remember, you're going to run out of food. There are no grocery stores open, even though you've stockpiled for two weeks. You're going to run out of water. I mean, it's just going to continue going on and on and on and on. And then what happens? Then it's time to go. That's the sad part. Because we did that the last time, and we didn't come back for one year. Nobody don't know no other place but New Orleans. If they never went nowhere else, so how could you determine us and violate us and our freedom and? put us to where we in a bad situation to where we have to go other places and be 
humiliated by other people because we're going to their cities to live there. Like, you got to understand it. The question now is, when will this power be restored? The CEO of the local utility issuing a statement saying in part it will likely take days to determine the extent of the damage to our power grid in Metro New Orleans and far longer to restore electrical transmission. Gas also becoming harder and harder to find. A lot of people just looking to power up their generator or gas up their car and evacuate. Morgan, back over to you. Frank, uh, we've been hearing that, at least from the power company side of things, uh, the reports have been that you still have so many felled trees, so much damage, areas where there, where there's flooding. It's, it's still hard to assess just how uh, bad the damage is, and that, too, could actually contribute to what it's going to take to get some of the power, for example, or, or other you know, key, key aspects of infrastructure back online. Are, are you seeing signs of that throughout the city as you do your reporting, um, just in, in terms of that damage, areas yeah. that are flooded, et cetera? Morgan, absolutely. We haven't seen as much flooding. Uh, haven't seen as much flooding anywhere we've been, but down trees are definitely a big issue. We've literally seen dozens of fallen trees all around the area. And uh, if you've ever been to New Orleans, you know, it's a very green city. There's a lot of different trees, um, a lot of old trees. So we've seen a lot of those fall, not only on power lines, but also blocking roads, which you would imagine would make it even harder for these utility crews to respond and deal with these issues. All right. Frank Holland, thank you. Let's bring in our guest, the head of Entergy's utility operations, Rod West. Rod, thanks for being with us today. Um, I know Entergy delivers electricity to 3 million utility customers across Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, and Texas. Um, as of yesterday, it was something like a million residential and commercial customers in Louisiana without power. What are those numbers? Where do those stand today? Well, first of all, good morning and thanks for having me. Uh, those numbers are relatively static uh, at the moment as we've been communicating with customers. Uh, we're in that damage assessment phase. Uh, as your earlier reporter was uh, was commenting, uh, we're in the street, yes. Uh, the debris and everything else is part of the challenge of doing damage assessment. But when the sun came up yesterday, we had birds in the air. Uh, we had helicopters and, and drones all trying to assess What's the extent of the damage that we have to repair? Is Are there transmission facilities we have to repair or replace? But our objective is to begin reducing that number. And uh, I'll, be, I'll be up front and tell you that it's been a challenge thus far for all the reasons uh, that you all have seen. That said, we are making progress on the damage assessment front. Uh, we do expect to be in a position to bring, um, bring transmission facilities into service uh, within the next day or so that will, will give us an opportunity to begin bringing some of the lights on in New Orleans um, in the coming days. Uh, we gave you a three-week um, uh, projection early on because we were being asked by customers mm -hmm. while the storm was passing through, what are you all predicting? And when you think about the intensity of the storm, the location, the track, the position of our facilities, we gave a three-week estimate because for some of the harder-hit areas of our service territory, it may take that long. But there will be customers online beginning the next day or two. And so progress is uh, being made. We're, we're really experienced at this. Uh, if, not, uh, if we're not good, we're, we're great at this. Unfortunately, this storm uh, didn't discriminate and, and took no prisoners. 
certainly three weeks is a, is a painful timeline, but definitely promising to hear that at least some customers are going to start to see their power restored in the next day or so. That being said, the fact that all eight transmission lines that bring power to New Orleans were knocked out by the storm, how does that happen? Well, that happens because uh, you have two, two or three different dynamics. One of the dynamics is you have uh, catastrophic winds uh, that, that destroy infrastructure. Uh, we, after Katrina, we upgraded or, or fortified our transmission system and the standards by which we, uh, we do asset renewal and replacement, where we actually have stronger structures. Some, some of it is not damaged. Some of it is the system protecting itself. Uh, when, uh, when because of the storms, you have an imbalanced system. That's the reason why you do damage assessment to assess whether or not you have to do actual repair or replace, or you simply have to lock those lines back in. The, the challenge for us is, you know, the electric system has to be in balance the entire time. That means uh, balancing the generation coming from power plants, providing access through those high voltage transmission lines. And the areas where your prior reporter was uh, standing in the street, that's distribution. That's where you see the poles and the wires and the transformers. All of those assets work in concert to keep a balanced system. Think of it as a spider web. And this storm, this storm passed through some of the most intense areas of this storm passed through the center of the spider web of the grid that served New Orleans. And whether it was damage or whether it was the system uh, responding to, take, uh, to protect itself, those uh, transmission assets were out of service. We're bringing them back in. Right, but you can only do it in a certain amount of time, I guess. You've got to roll a lot of trucks and get a lot of people doing a lot of different things. I mean, is there any particular or one significant impediment that, that you're concerned about, Rod, when it comes to actually getting all that done? Candidly, it's safety of the, of the men and women working. Um, it's, you know, we're going to have 16 to 20,000 people uh, working to uh, restore power. They know, because many of them live in the areas we're trying to energize, they know we're on the clock with our customers. It's not something that we take, uh, you know, we take lightly. We, we want the, the restaurants, uh, you know, to, to serve their charcuterie and, and oysters and, and other things that, um, that, are, that are normal for, for New Orleans, because we live here. But safety has to be the first the first thing. There is no job that's so important that we can't we can't do it we can't do it safely. Rod, Entergy opened a new natural gas power plant in New Orleans last year and it pledged that it was going to help keep the lights on uh, in in times of heat waves or even potentially big storms. Now you have some government officials down there raising questions about why that plant didn't keep electricity going at least to some parts of the city through this storm or, or even now. What's your response? Uh, for those who understand how the system works, they know the plant did exactly what it was designed to do. The plant uh, shut down not because the plant wasn't available. It was because the, trans the plant needs transmission in order to bring the power in. So, so the way the system works, generation is just one part of the power delivery system. That generation has to be transmitted through high-voltage transmission lines. Uh, from the power plant to get into the to the area. So there was nothing wrong at all with the New Orleans power station. It is operating and was operating as designed. 
but we needed transmission. That's, that's the challenge of the transmission system. We needed transmission to get the power there. We have available generation in the New Orleans area. The New Orleans power station that you just mentioned, we have nine mile, we, nine mile six, we have the, the J. Wayne Leonard power station. Generation is not an issue for us. This is a, a transmission and some distribution uh, um, aspects of it. So I want to correct the record. So anyone suggesting that uh, the New Orleans power station is not available, that is uh, empirically false. All right. Rod, we appreciate the update. Uh, good luck restoring power. We, we hope that it can happen as quickly and safely as possible. And of course, this raises questions longer term about what electric, electricity infrastructure in the U.S. should potentially be looking like and evolving into uh, in the future. Perhaps you can come back at a later date to discuss that with us as well. I'll be happy to. And thanks for giving me a chance to get the word out to the customers. Folks, we're working to bring you back home. Thank you. All right, when we come back right here, a rough morning, you can see it right there for a Zoom video. This after the company posted its quarterly results. We're going to talk about why it is getting that reaction and what it means for the stay-at-home trade. Give you another look at futures here as well. We're 14 minutes from the opening bell. We've got a lot more squawk in the street straight ahead. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Shehi a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Zoom video tumbling in pre-market trading despite better than expected quarterly results and sales topping a billion dollars for the first time uh, in the past quarter. The company says the dramatic growth rates it saw when the pandemic first hit have slowed more quickly than expected. Uh, so the forward guidance was implicitly kind of weaker because some of the uh, you know earnings per share numbers they gave really just accounted for the, the last quarter beat. And I guess the you know stocks already even before this move. Uh, down 40 percent from its high. So this has been having that kind of huge pandemic premium uh, being bled out of it for a while right now. And I think the the tricky part is it's down a lot. Everyone is pretty persuaded that this is going to be part of kind of corporate workflow for a very long time. It's just what are you paying for it today versus what the revenue growth and earnings growth can be? You know, it's still at 300 bucks. 60 times next year's expected earnings. You know, a lot of the analyst targets say, well, it's at 18 times our 2023 revenue and other cloud stocks are more expensive. So it's, in other words, you have to 
kind of make a little bit of a leap of faith that this is a continued fast grower uh, on the order of a lot of these software as a service companies where, you know, we just don't know exactly how much was pulled forward, what they're going to be in small uh, small businesses, whether they're going to be canceling a lot of subs or not. That's right. And it seems to be small business is one of those key areas in terms of this deceleration in the rate of growth, which I should note, just in terms of the forecast for Q3, is still something like 31% growth year on year. But for this company, given yeah. everything we've seen in terms of the monster, uh, I guess, moves, the monster growth uh, coming through the pandemic uh, does represent a deceleration. Um, I know that we have a graphic, I don't know if we can pull that up, uh, that shows that those small customers, those that, you know, businesses with 10 or less, um, you can really see that that rate of growth kind of falling down pretty pretty dramatically. Um, nonetheless, I, I feel like Zoom is one of those household names now. Um, you know, it's is it really going to go? Maybe maybe yeah. maybe look yeah. at the valuation. Maybe you look at this quote unquote reversion to the mean. But is it really is it a name that's really actually going right. to go somewhere? It, what's overshadowed is the fact that they finally hit a billion dollars in revenue this past quarter yeah. too. And as you point out, they do have uh, many what half over half a million customers with ten or more yeah empl- that's right. uh, people. Uh, which is a milestone for them as well. Market caps, though. I mean, that's the whole yeah, thing. Don't exactly. want to forget that. Don't so want to forget it, that. It's one of those um, things like, you know, nobody thinks it's, quote, going away. Just like nobody thinks inflation yeah. is going away. It's about, you know, what's the what's the pace of, uh, of growth and the rate of change? Did, uh, yeah. By the way, don't want people to forget as well that Zoom is, is still in a deal no, no, to, acquire, no, you? to acquire 5.9. Um, that was announced on July 18th. I mentioned it because 5.9 shares are going to be down. The ratio there, by the way, is point, uh, was it point five five three three. Uh, and, yeah, 0.5533. It was an all-stock deal, so hence you're going to see a significant decline in shares of 5.9. Strangely, actually, uh, the, uh, the spread's tightening ever so slightly. Not a premium anymore for 5.9 shareholders. So when they announced the deal, at least they, they obviously thought it was, given an all-stock deal at that point, which was worth over $14.7 billion, not worth that as well. We'll keep an eye on 5.9 for another reason as well, just to mention it. Um, on uh, the 27th of this uh, month, David Platinsky, the acting chief of the Foreign Investment Review Section of the National Security Division of the Department of Justice, sent a letter to Marlene Dorch, the secretary of the Federal Communications Commission, which requested the commission refer the above reference 59 application to the committee for the assessment of foreign participation in the U.S. telecommunications services sector. What does it all mean? Well, uh, Acting Chief Platinsky's letter commented that the Department of Justice, quote, believes that such, such risk may be raised by the foreign participation, including the foreign relationships and ownership associated with the application. So a sense, a national security review there that hmm. you got to at least be aware of from the DOJ asking of the FCC. Yeah. It's interesting, too, when you think about Zoom and the fact that some companies last year decided not to use Zoom because of national security and security implications there, too. All right. Well, coming up, NVIDIA among the chip stocks in the midst of a record run. We're going to look at whether or not it's too late to get in on the group. More Squawk on the Street after this break. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.
Well, if you own these stocks going into uh, the open today, you may not be that happy. Certainly, if you're a Zoom video holder, at least today, uh, you can see the stock, as we just talked about, going to be down sharply, followed by DocuSign and uh, NXP shares also, although, you know, we'll see. Of course, it's uh, an opening bell about uh, four minutes away. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. We're about a minute away from uh, the opening bell for this last trading day of the month. As Mike Santoli told us early, you never know about September. Um, I don't know. What does history tell us typically? History says it's the weakest month of the year on right. average, with many, many exceptions. And even when it's weakest on average, it's kind of like just below break even. So it's, it's not necessarily a great. By the way, seasonal stuff hasn't particularly worked that great this year. August is often tough. We're up 3%. So I do think that, uh, you know, you sort of use it as part of the general context for what's going on, but not necessarily uh, feel as if it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a reason to pull the trigger one way or the other. There's some applause. You like that? Yeah, we got about 20 seconds till we get started. Let's be reading the opening bell, by the way. Take a look at the real-time exchange back at our headquarters at CNBC. Given where we looked in the open, could be a very much a mixed bag. Here at the big board, Simplify Asset Management. And over at the NASDAQ, it is software consulting firm Agile Thought. Agile Thought. As we get started with the final trading day of the month. Of course, a quiet week, as we said, typically uh, at this time of year prior to the Labor Day holiday. A lot of people away. You don't get as much liquidity. If you're planning on making sort of uh, big moves into or out of a stock, you may want to wait. Europe also not much going on there. China continues to also be a question uh, as well in these markets. Of course, we talked yesterday at this time about that singular, uh, let's call it, or certainly highly uh, unusual, it would seem, certainly if we ever anticipate anything like this, ban on playing video games. Controlled gaming. I don't know. Have you tried it? Are you going to try it in your household at some point, or have you tried it in your own in terms of controlled gaming? Maybe I can tell them the Chinese are telling them, you know, sorry, yeah. kids, <laughs> can't do it anymore. Uh, three hours a week. Didn't have the impact, though, uh, on Tencent shares, interestingly, yeah, I mean, yesterday I, I think that they we were might so have anticipated. beforehand that it's unclear if that was going to be the, uh, you know, the thing that was going to make. And we're watching a, a rebound and yeah, very exactly. early going here in many of the names that we've been following, all down dramatically from their highs, all down percentage, many, many du- double digit percentage wise, even in the recent weeks. But a bit of a rebound lately, as you can see, even Tencent. Yeah, um, I was going to just point out Apple only because it was such an outsized mover yesterday on not that much news. Yes, there was, you know, a little bit of talk about the uh, potential satellite capability in the new generation of iPhones. But up uh, something like 3 percent yesterday to a new high gets a lot of people excited. It did seem to break out from this sort of sideways range. Now, giving back a little bit, about two thirds of one percent. So I don't ever feel it's a, a true bellwether for the broader market. It kind of does its own thing. And uh, even though it is the biggest stock in the world. But um, worth noting that there was this news out of, uh, out of South Korea uh, where there's some sort of challenge to some of the um, you know, App Store payments and, and, and Google and Apple's ability to kind of, uh, kind of restrict things over there. I, I doubt that's the mover, but the, it's worth keeping an eye on uh, just these moves on no news in the big mega caps because that was the story yesterday in terms of the upside. Yeah. I, I mean, I think what's so key about the South Korea 
news today is the fact that this is the first ruling of its kind. It's expected to get signed into law in that country. And you're talking about companies that fail to comply with some of the key measures within this rule being fined up to 3% of their South Korea revenue. Not necessarily so much for companies like Apple and Google, but seen as a potential bellwether um, for potential regulation and lawmaking in other key markets in the world, including here in the U.S. and in the European Union as well. And obviously, we know things like the App Store, Google Play have already been under under a lot of pressure. And you're talking about all of those antitrust concerns um, because these companies are so big. Uh, I think another key thing to get to, and I know you're hot to talk about this, um, is Robinhood, which we saw moving pretty dramatically in yesterday's session, uh, given those SEC Gensler comments that we got about payment for order flow. Uh, and, and a ban on that potentially being on the table. And it wasn't just Robinhood either. It was names like Virtu yes. trading lower on, on that potential as well. And Virtu and both of them down this morning as well. Um, it, Gensler has been very clear that he is not pleased with the way overall market structure has evolved. Because it's not the way you would build it from the start. There's all these alternative venues. A lot of order flow, especially retail order flow, never sees a kind of a, the light of a public exchange. Uh, these wholesalers bid for the, the order flow. So there's, he wants to kind of bring a lot of that into line and maybe reform the overall thing. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean outright ban on payment for order flow. Somebody has to execute the trades. There's mm-hmm. always a bid-ass spread. There's always money to be made in there. And somebody has to kind of pay or, or kind of distribute that, the economics of that along the way. And the payment for order flow, the way you compete for that is to improve the execution price relative to what is publicly displayed. So, you know, this exchange, they can't actually operate in the smaller increments like the big wholesalers. All of these regulations surround it. So I understand why Robinhood would be down on this. Um, and, of course, there's the other part of it that just is sort of the smell test. Uh, people don't like the idea that your broker is, is selling your order flow and, therefore, at least some aggregate information of what you're doing uh, to, to a wholesaler. But um, I think the, the general idea... And I think this is where retail investors bristle at this more, is the idea that, oh, they're letting somebody front run my trades. That's not what really goes on. It's because they want to interact with as much volume as possible from as many sources as possible. That's how they can afford to sit there and have their systems for every stock in the world have a bid aspect and be ready to execute it on the dime. Right. So I think there's a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, uh, there's this kind of an emotional piece of this. And then there's just the structural, like, let's make sure this all makes sense in terms of what's disclosed. Yeah, the Robin transparency Hood. seems to be very totally. crucial to this entire debate. Yeah, and, and, and let's not have a system where it incentivizes all of this order flow to be elsewhere so that the publicly available bid-ask price is not as reliable or reflective of supply and demand. Right. Also, transparency, as you say, Morgan, is the key. I mean, I come back to Gensler's got plenty on his plate, as we know, when it comes to that even. We still haven't seen any reforms as a result of the Archegos disaster, total return swaps, of course, being a key there. And back to transparency, complete lack of it in terms of the size of those positions True. Uh, uh, and the inability of the market to determine in any real way how much stock was actually owned by this one yeah. one fund when we saw it going up every day. So, I mean, there's no doubt Gensler's, but he does seem to be always aiming towards more transparency if possible. Yeah. And there's so much technology that is um, flooding into 
the financial space in general. I mean, we talk about it so much from an investor standpoint, just the hot opportunities in fintech. you got to wonder also if the news that was broken by CNBC about PayPal yesterday also exploring a, a stock trading platform for U.S. customers is also weighing oh, on Robinhood to a certain extent, too, as just many of these lines continue to blur and new technology makes new products and services possible. I mean, we're talking about Microsoft before the bell, sort of what, what is old is new again. Right. In terms of some of these tech companies that have been around for a number of decades now that have basically reinvented themselves and have become even bigger heavyweights on the world stage. PayPal, you could say, is becoming another one of those names uh, from back in, in the late 90s. Now having a whole new rebirth, if you will, in terms of what it's offering to, to customers out there. And by the way, cryptocurrency is all a big piece of all of this conversation with all of these companies as well. PayPal's market value always, I mean, yeah, yeah. forget it, $340 billion. Company. The financial supermarket was what um, they called it. it yeah. They wanted a total financial relationship with, you know, in every way. But also the PayPal news and the payment for order flow news does underscore the idea that what Robinhood offers as a product or service, it's nothing proprietary about it. It's just what anybody could do but uh, with a brand and a good app on top of it. And that's fine. And by I mean, the way, as a customer, Mike, it's not clear that there's a great benefit to you in using, to your point, that platform versus right. others because of the payment for flow. It's business. not necessarily, I mean, the data that you are giving up just for the lack of a commission. I don't know. Right. And it's a very small net cost. Uh, in other words, the revenue to the broker is like fractions of a cent per share, typically. Yep. Um, but it's money, and it's, it's, it's people, again, people emotionally respond to this idea that their order flow is, is kind of getting out there somehow. And, and yeah. you know, just to, not to, to burst anyone's bubble, but they'd rather trade against the retail order flow than trade with it. I right. mean, that's kind of the idea is you have the institutions you want to kind of collide with the retail order flow because it comes from a different source. It's idiosyncratic, and, uh, and that's the, the value in it. Um, I've been following... Um SPAC redemptions, it's sort of been a story that, uh, that's caught my eye, and it continues to be one in the... Uh, and also, I just do it back. <laughs> you yeah. just wanted that to show up on the TV screen. Well, also the sound. Really, it's, it's actually... It's <laughs> that's like sound when Pac-Man gets eaten by the ghost, yes, right? Yes, yes. I just love it. Um, it's not quite as good as Johnny Gilbert introducing the Faber Report, but we won't do that today. Wow. Um, but we do have a couple uh, more on the same theme, uh, which is basically you're seeing these redemption rates... They're enormous. Uh, 90, 95 percent of shares and SPACs being redeemed, leaving very little cash for the companies. They take in money from a pipe if there is one. But in the trust account, what's left? Very little. And so they are violating the minimum cash requirement, which needs to be waived by the company itself and or they try to do different things. There's a look, by the way, at the CNBC SPAC 50, and we can go through any, any of those. But two I'm talking about today, Spring Valley Aerofarms. People may have ta- heard of Aerofarm from mm-hmm. a vertical farming. Newark, New Jersey is where they're based. They raised a good amount of money prior to doing their SPAC deal, if I recall. Um, deal was approved by shareholders, but yet again, because of redemptions, they don't tell us the number here. They simply say as a result of redemptions, the minimum cash requirement in Spring Valley and Aerofarms agreement and plan of merger hasn't been satisfied. Um, I'd heard they might be as high as 85% or more, but we don't have a number here. Um, And so they're looking for more money, essentially, so that they can actually close the deal. It was approved by holders, and that's the other thing. You get these enormous redemptions, but you still get approval of the deals, which seems somewhat odd, although, again, I pointed out in merger, in risk, risk arb, we see that, or merger arb, you see that as well, or deals, I should say, where 
uh, record date. You know, you vote, um, you vote in favor, then you sell your shares. Um, but that one, they're seeking additional sources of capital, uh, and they're hoping to uh, to actually close it by the 24th of September. The other one, smaller deal, Centricus Arcit Quantum. Oh. That vote's set for today. Do you know that? I do know all? this. Name. Okay. Um, Virgin Orbit is an investor in this. Oh, game. are they? Yeah, it's quantum um, computing from space, essentially intersection of cybersecurity. Thank you. See, it's always good to have an actual idea of what these companies are involved <laughs> in, because I'm focused so much more on just, again, redemption. Thirty-two point four million. Now, let me put that in perspective. I think there are only thirty-four point five million total shares uh, for in this in this back. So that's what we're talking about. Do the math. It's over ninety plus, way over ninety percent saying nope want to take our 10 bucks. So they had a, another investor that was already part of the sponsorship group coming in, I believe, Heritage. They're going to buy 2.2 million of the shares that were submitted for redemptions and unredeem them, essentially. So that'll raise 22 million bucks. They're paying 10 bucks for that. But they're also getting another 2 million in essentially sponsor shares. So you're seeing the sponsors start to do some things here to try to make sure that they can have enough cash at the beginning. Even if they violate the minimum cash requirement, there is an agreement here, for example, that they're willing to go down to 150 million, uh, or excuse me, 100 million from what had been 150 million uh, in minimum cash. But the sponsor giving up 2 million shares to Heritage for them to come in and buy. And a lot of, a lot of different things need to be done here. This is reflective overall of investors don't like SPACs right now. Right. Yeah. They just don't. Um, and there's a reason for that. Another that is, area that SEC is taking a closer look at. Yes. Uh, yes, something else that's on Gensler's plate. And it all goes back to the disparity of incentives and the fact that the sponsors oftentimes are going to be able to make money even down 50% or more on that $10 price. As we uh, head to break here, it is time for the bond report. Let's take a quick look at how Treasuries are faring ahead of Chicago PMI. That's due out in just a few moments from now. Yields, as you see it across the board, yeah, they're mostly higher. Mostly higher. It got the uh, 30-year a bit down. Across the Atlantic, by the way, Eurozone inflation accelerated at the fastest pace in almost 10 years. Focus on it here. Maybe focus on it there, too. Consumer prices up 3% in August. Germany's 10-year bun yield, by the way, is actually up, although it's still negative. Just want to make sure. Yeah. Negative 0.394. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. Rick Santelli here live at CME HQ, awaiting the August read on Chicago PMI, which just hit the wires at 66.8. That is definitely a miss. We're expecting a number at 68. Sequentially, this follows 73.4. And if you do recall, in May at 75.2, that was a 48-year high, going all the way back to 73. 66.8 is the weakest since June when it was 66.1. Probably, I can't tell you for sure, there's some negative implications here with regard to the effects of the uh, COVID issues regarding the Delta variant. We also had housing prices and S&P Core Logic at some of the highest ever. Boon deals moving up to levels that we haven't seen uh, in about four weeks. And what's going on there is very unusual because their yields are moving higher primarily because their CPI is moving higher. Squawk on the Street will return after these messages. 
Bit of a retreat underway in the broader averages. Let's get to Bob Pisani for more. Bob. Good morning, David. Uh, we uh, flattish open here uh, on the advanced decline line. We're sitting at the lows for the day. Tech is lagging. That's part of the problem. Remember, tech has been a huge leadership group. So just take a look at the sectors here. Down a little bit this morning here. Uh, banks, energy, industrials, all a bit on the flattish side, as you can see here. Banks, the only sector on the upside. We're going into September. There's a famous old trader saw. September is the worst month of the year. And technically it is since World War II. It's down. It's uh, August, September are the two worst combination months, as you can see, down fractionally. But I think the traders are very less impressed with these seasonal trading patterns than they used to be. And the problem is they don't work very well in the last decade or so. For example, if you look at the September's the worst month indicator, September's actually been up three of the last four months, if you put up the next chart. And so a lot of these old trading patterns sell in May and go away. September's the worst month. Uh, The January effect, Santa Claus effect, all these famous saws that the traders use haven't been working as well. And some people believe it's because the Federal Reserve has been flooding the market with so much liquidity, it overwhelms these very delicate seasonal trading patterns. At any point, it's not hard to figure out why the market is at new highs. When you get this combination of, number one, earnings are at records in terms of dollar amounts. Number two, the earnings estimates continue to go up in the third and fourth quarter. And number four, you have a record profit margin north of 13%. Folks, that's what the stock market moves on. Earnings, earnings estimates rising or falling, margins rising or falling. So no mystery on what's going on there. And there's also a very clear rotating factor that's been helping the markets as well. So this quarter, we see a pattern here. The S&P 500 tends to be larger cap stocks, uh, outperforming small cap stocks, growth outperforming value. This is the exact opposite of what happened in the second quarter. So we're rotating around here. Cyclicals did better in the second quarter, uh, which tend to be value stocks over growth stocks. So, again, this 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 rotation that keeps helping the market out a uh, little over 60 percent of the S&P is up in the second quarter. Believe it or not, that might be surprised people. But if you look at the top five companies, when you get five companies that are essentially 25 percent of the S&P and they're up this much in a quarter, the S&P is only up five percent this quarter. Those stocks are almost enough to keep overwhelming the market. So you, this is that problem with the selective uh, rotation with the big caps moving forward. Finally, just on payment for order flow, I know you guys were talking about this. Uh, the SEC has just got a proposal for comments out. They've got a long, long way to make anything happen. There's a lot of different types of payment for order flow, not just Robinhood. The NYSE and NASDAQ engage in a form of payment for overflow, uh, for uh, trading, uh, payment for order flow. Uh, options markets also do that. So there's going to be a possible vote by the SEC commission down the road. But Mike, my sense here is that's not going to happen. My sense is the ultimate goal is just to get more transparency out there, more disclosure, opening that genie in the bottle of payment for order flow and defining what it means. That's probably a pretty tall order. Mike, back to you. Yep. Uh, just bringing it all out uh, into the open probably is, uh, is the overarching goal, Bob. Thank you very much. A uh, number of chip stocks, uh, meantime, hitting record highs this week. For more on the sector's outlook, we're joined by Mizuho Securities' Vijay Rakesh, uh, Vijay, good morning. You know, there's some excitement just on a sector-wide basis coming into today that the semiconductor uh, index had sort of finally nosed above to a, to a new high. It's backing off today, but I wonder uh, how you would assess just the general uh, sort of supply-demand outlook. What's already baked into the market? Where are we in the cycle? Yeah, thanks for having me on, Mike. So, <clears throat> so just briefly on the semi-group, I think underlying trends are very positive. Demand trends are very positive. There's still supply chain constraints, but we are saying after pretty strong 2020, 2021, uh, we'll be more selective uh, on the semi-names, especially we think auto-industrial, uh, some auto-industrial names are starting to peak 
We are seeing backlog starting to peak. Backlog orders are peaking. Pricing is at a peak here. Uh, and as, as Rick just mentioned, some of the PMI numbers for the Chicago PMI just came in weaker. And we are seeing some of the global trends, uh, or just the momentum on the auto industrial side start to slow down a little bit. So we would be more uh, positive on some of the 5G handset side, like the Qualcomm, Avago, et cetera, where we see much stronger growth uh, into back half, especially with Apple launches uh, coming up here, but also going into 2022 as well. So definitely a little bit more uh, conservative on the uh, auto industrial side. We would try to move more into the uh, into the 5G handset side, even some of the memory names that have really uh, taken a backseat in the last couple of months. So, And on the auto and industrial side, where does that take you in terms of uh, the stocks that you think uh, are not as well positioned right now? Yeah, we do think uh, when you look at names like NXPR Microchip, they've executed very well. Um, they obviously uh, reflect a lot of the recovery from the pandemic. Uh, but you're starting to see uh, things start to soften a little bit, especially in China. Uh, you, you saw some of the PMI numbers. The U.S. also start to weaken. And, and so we think uh, the leading indicator is orders. That backlog orders are starting to slow down a little bit. So that we... Have, uh, we did take our take down NextPair microchip mode to neutral. We will be more positive on names like On Semi, On Semiconductor, and Allegro, where there is uh, massive tailwind with ele- electric vehicles uh, and and uh, autonomous, uh, which portion those two names well. I'd also point out NXPI, for example, had some insider selling yesterday, both the CEO and CFO selling some stocks. So uh, looks like you know obviously um, that's being reflected through some of those inside sales as well. So. BJ, it's Morgan. I mean, this is a longer-term question that I'm sure will play out over over the coming years, uh, even as we talk about shortages and demand and supply dynamics uh, right now where these stocks are concerned. But as we do see production ramp, as we do see more capacity and more factories come online, more money put towards the sector in general over the coming years, will that actually make it more cyclical or will it smooth out cyclicality for semiconductors and thus pricing and thus the stocks? Yeah, I think, uh, Morgan, the way the semi group would work is anytime the in- investors see accelerating top line growth, accelerating earnings momentum, the stocks tend to do very well. The, the minute you know you start to see growth starting to slow down, uh, earnings momentum start to slow down, I think you know multiples start to slowly stabilize or even move in, into contraction. But to your point, uh, you know, we will see supply starting to pick up, supply chains start to expand, fab capacity start to expand, but that would be more middle of next year. Uh, but that obviously, uh, again, uh, pushes back. Uh, you know, you will see some of these pricing levers that uh, pricing momentum that's been a tailwind for the semi name start to fall off as more supply comes on. Uh, but uh, at this point here, I think you're still kind of uh, in slightly tight, uh, tight constraint capacity here. Pricing is still a little yeah. bit of a tailwind, uh, but that would start to um, kind of be a headwind into next year when capacity comes on for sure. BJ, thanks very much. Appreciate you running through it for us. Thanks a lot, Mike. You've been listening to The Opening Bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.